Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Geeky Dinks. This week, to close out the spooky month of October, we're talking about the king of spooky himself, Tim Burton. Yeah, he has a lot of unique styles to the way he does movies, and you just know when you see it, you're like, that is a Tim Burton movie. Yeah, that's uh, what very handedly, definitively lands him in the area of an auteur. I brought it up in a few other episodes, the idea of an auteur, it's what's taught in like film school and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, of certain directors having such a recognizable style right that you don't have to know you didn't have to see the credit directed by tim burton right to know that he had a hand in that movie right exactly and it's and it's not like he just did like the claymation stop motion style movies he did more than that he did live actions he's done um animations like he's done a lot of different types of movies but they all still have his very tim burton style yeah, anything that has people with looking really pale with <laughs> like heavy eye makeup, like they look like they're half dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, a lot of stuff with Johnny Depp, a lot of stuff with Helena Bonham Carter. Right. Um, they were like, like a trio. They had to be together. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they did Sweeney Todd together. Johnny Depp was at least in Sleepy Hollow with him. He was in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. He was in a lot. Yeah. Like, they were pretty close. I think that was kind of his leading guy. If it was Tim Burton, he's like, hey, I want Johnny Depp, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's one of those things that auteurs do as well, is they work with the same actors and actresses over and over mm-hmm. again. Well, when you develop a style, you kind of also develop a sound with the style. And I think that between Johnny Depp and Hel- Helena... Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah, Helena. Um, I think they both have a particular sound about them that just matches his style. There's a little bit of gruff, but there's also definitely pitchiness, and it can go really high and really low, and that plays into the over dramatic of his characters. That I think it just works out really well. Yeah, everything that I've seen Johnny Depp do with Tim Burton, I've really enjoyed. There was even this one early on called Ed Wood. It's a black and white movie, even though it was filmed in like the 90s. It's about the worst movie pretty much ever put together. Ed Wood was a notorious director back in the Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney, those people that Mm -hmm. did all the old monster movies. It was during that era, and he was just notorious for making really, really bad movies. Like, there was this one called Plan 9 from Outer Space, and that's what the movie Ed Wood is about, oh, is him okay. making pretty much the worst movie ever. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because when I was looking up Tim Burton, it says here that, like, it starts with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't realize that, that he was the director on that, so I thought that was that was really interesting. And then it goes into, you know, Beetlejuice and Batman, which we all know. Right. You know, Edward Scissorhands, obviously, then he continues on with the rest of the Batmans, Nightmare Before Christmas, and that's where Ed Wood came in shortly after that in 94. Mars Attacks. I think I read an article earlier today about his take on Mars Attacks. He's from the UK. Oh. And so Mars Attacks was what he thought was going on in America, like what that would feel like in America. 
and um, or maybe he was living in the UK or something like that. But it, what was going on at that time? He's like, this is what that feels like to him, oh. and that's what Mars Attacks was. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, he was born in California, but okay. yeah, he spent a lot of time. Over okay, well, he was probably you know spent most of his time over there, but he it claimed he was an American director, but from the UK. So I was like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> I guess he has some very british sensibilities maybe i mean sort of i could see that um let's see and then obviously i think the 90s were really the tim burton era because that's when you have like james and the giant peach sleepy hollow planet of the apes the remake one from 2001 oh wow i forgot about that one (laughs) because that one was the one that kind of was apart from the earlier ones you know with charlton heston and Mm -hmm. you know that whole series that it was more basically just Tim Burton's take on the story. Right. But then they restarted that whole story again with James Franco and the prequel stuff, like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. So that one, it's kind of notorious in itself for being kind of bad. Right. (laughs) Well, and I feel like Tim Burton, when he does movies i feel like when he's trying to take on something we already know like for example batman yeah not that the tim burton batmans were bad because back then all comic book and game type movies were bad i mean his were actually a, i thought were, were a really good take on batman right. compared but, to the adam west one well yes but there's don't tell diehard fans that <laughs> um but there's a lot of people who say of the batmans we know those were very campy. They were very out there. And I think when he tries to do these big movies, they fall a little flat because of his artistic flair. Oh, okay. He doesn't stay so true. Not that he doesn't stay true to the story, but that he just wants to add so much to it and make it so colorful it kind of drowns out everything else. I think all of his movies have a sort of dark whimsy to them mm-hmm. I, yeah i agree they're just a little bit skewed and the colors are either really vibrant or just totally depleted in edward scissorhands edward himself was very pale just in black mm-hmm. but the family that he moved in with and took care of him and everything it was all colorful right so it's the stark contrast and he wanted to really lean into the surreal aspects of how these stories would look. Well, and I think he did the same with Beetlejuice, too. Because when you think about when they moved into the house, it was very neutral tones, grays. But then when Beetlejuice shows up and he's in, I guess, the afterlife at that point, everything from there was very colorful. You have people with blue skin and then you've got all these flames and fire and, you know, all this stuff. That That's where all the bright color was in Beetlejuice. But then you go back and she's changing the house to black walls, gray walls, these stone, like everything was a stone family, like 50 shades of gray before it came out, (laughs) right? So I think he played into that as well. Kind of gives the feeling that like life was dull and drab and that being dead like Beetlejuice was more colorful and fun. I don't know. (laughs) Well, he's always had that reputation of the macabre being more Mm -hmm. his comfort zone right when he was still just an animator at disney in his very early days all of his drawings that he would do himself they would say weren't exactly disney right you know 
because they'd have really big eyes, but they'd have really like gaunt features and just look really unhealthy. <laughs> but that was just his way of looking at things. And he has always had that not exactly the easiest personality to understand right. or to work with. Right. Yeah, I think the article I read also said that he'd been fired and hired multiple times by Disney for various reasons. Yeah. But, you know, when you have that style and you want to stay true to that style because you're staying true to yourself, it really makes it hard to fit into the mold that is Disney. Yeah. Because Disney very much, they know what works, they know what sells. And until Tim Burton could make a name for himself and find out that, hey, people really like Tim Burton's style, it had to be a specific Tim Burton movie. Right. Not, hey, Tim Burton's directing Iron Man. Like, that would have been a whole different (laughs) MCU. Yeah. We'd have had Thanos a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his his ideas, they have the same style. We've mm-hmm. talked about that. I really enjoy, especially for this time of year, I like Sleepy Hollow. I love his take on it just mm-hmm. because it is so over-the-top gruesome. Is that the Johnny Depp one? Yeah. I don't know that I've seen that one. Yeah, it's uh, Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. Christopher Walken is the headless horseman in the flashbacks. I was say I don't think I've seen that one because like I've seen Sleepy Hollow other versions, but I don't know that I ever saw that version. Yeah, it is. Well, everything's really the colors pretty much all drained from the movie except for the color red. Okay. So when blood shows up, it is very red. Okay. Yeah, but it's a it's just. Definitely a more adult take mm-hmm. on Sleepy Hollow. And the fact that he was able to go the full R rating on it, mm-hmm. you didn't get the the Disney version where Ichabod Crane... I mean, he's, <laughs> Johnny Depp still does a great job of being Ichabod Crane in it and having that skittishness mm-hmm. while still trying to be a police constable detective. <laughs> because he's one of the first people who's trying to use forensics to solve crimes not just if there's a person there and and he has the weapon in his hand and he confesses then you have the murderer otherwise we have no idea ah (laughs) so that version of sleepy hollow definitely is a lot more adult definitely not for the kids right (laughs) but that that is one of those things that i think sets tim burton apart is that he can do the family friendly ones as well as the ones where definitely don't take your kids right well and i think even with his family friendly ones like there's still some undertones that you're just like maybe not exactly great for your kids to see but hopefully it'll fly over their heads you know and yeah i mean because when you think about like nightmare before christmas it's a halloween staple even though it's technically a christmas movie but I guess it's got dual duty. You can do both of them. <laughs> but I mean, some of the stuff in there is kind of adult. Well, I'd say it's just not for little, little kids. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you can say it's a claymation. That's all fun. And, and a lot of the stuff, I think, well, I don't think it was until I watched it as an adult that I was kind of like, oh, oh, Sally's making potions so that she can get away from her captor. You know, that's kind of a thing that you don't think about as a kid. You're like, ha, 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 she made him fall asleep. Or it's like, no, she's trying to escape. And she's literally risking life and limb, quite literally. Yeah. (laughs) And Oogie Boogie's terrifying. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of the movies... 
from the 90s that had kind of the quote-unquote light-hearted peril. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the world today, the world's become a lot more serious. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things that we could have laughed about back then... It's not quite so funny anymore. Right. Yeah. I don't know how much humor Tim Burton actively puts into his work, or if that's something that the other people involved in the projects do. Well, and I think in that same respect, I think it's that not necessarily that it was like super funny then. It's just that it's become more of a reality now. So instead of being, surely nobody's going to do that. Right. Now it's more of, people have done that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really scary. <laughs> yeah. Now that we have access to all this information mm-hmm. and we know so much or we Too think much. we, or we, <laughs> we, we have access to so much information that, well, for one, we don't know what's really real. And two, the things that end up being real totally suck the joy out of the <laughs> things that used to be, oh, no way that actually would Right, happen. yeah, you kind of see the, the scary side of things. And, you know, that all kind of, I think that's what makes Halloween movies even scarier now than they used to be. It's not that they've gotten worse. It's just they've got more realistic. Yeah. Because these things actually happen. So you're like, what? You know. And unfortunately, I feel like we, as a society, are looking so down on everybody else that we all have our nose up. Like, oh, I'm doing better than everyone else. That, (laughs) Of course, I would never do that, but I can't say the same for everyone else. Right. I think if we really looked hard at ourselves and cut everyone else the same slack that we cut ourselves. I mean, it, that would be ideal. Yeah, I mean, but it's an easier thing to do than most people think. That you just take a second when you're having that thought of, like, oh, I'm doing so much better than them. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you're doing better than you were yesterday. Right. You can't compare yourself to their journey. Right. Well, yeah, and I mean, and, and very much in this way... Get off my soapbox now. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to tie it back in. So if <laughs> Tim Burton were to compare himself to, say, Kevin Feige, he'd be failing. Oh. Absolutely failing. But Tim Burton can't compare. They, that's apples and oranges. Yeah. Hardcore. They're two totally different things where Tim Burton has his place. It's just a different place. Like, People love Beetlejuice. People love Nightmare Before Christmas, Frank and Weenie, Alice in Wonderland, the the remake. There are so many Tim Burton movies that you can just roll off the top of your head and you're like, oh, I know it's Tim Burton. You don't have to tell me what he did. I know he was a part of it because it looks like a Tim Burton movie. Right. And you just know. Yeah. Even the ones where he was just a producer, where you didn't really have a lot of creative say in what was going on or... Uh, at least uh, the style-wise, mm-hmm. it still took on that sort of feel. Right, exactly. And I don't know that necessarily a Kevin Feige movie that's not a Marvel, that you would know it's a Kevin Feige movie. Well, he doesn't direct, he just produces. Well, I know, but what I'm saying is, is like you just don't have that same connection to movies with him as you do Tim Burton. Oh, Whether yeah. Tim Bur- Burton is producing or directing, you know what movies he's at least dipped his fingers into right you know? yeah, yeah. Feige, he's molded the clay well, a little <laughs> yeah because tim burton has done so many different 
he's worn so many different hats. Right. You know? <laughs> Literally molded clay. He does clay missions. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, a, he's a writer, producer, director. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he does all these things. Animator, yeah. Mm-hmm. But as far as I know, Kevin Feige doesn't direct. He doesn't write. I mean, it makes sense for him to be in the position he's in since he has such a... Like, we talked about it last week with Black Adam that he has such a huge scope Mm -hmm. that he really needs to focus on his job and that is the overarching story of the MCU whereas Tim Burton he doesn't have to do that sort of thing like he doesn't have uh, sequels of movies coming out even though some of them have had sequels but not everything like you know Alice in Wonderland uh, was an exception I think that was it. Well, he did the first two Batmans. Or the Batmans, yeah. Yeah, with... The Batmans. With uh, Michael Keaton. And that's another actor that he worked with a few times was Michael Michael Keaton Keaton because he did the Batman movies with him and Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, you know, we all know and love Beetlejuice, obviously. So there's a lot, I think, that despite his style and everything being so different, the world needs a little Tim Burton sometimes. Just to be like... (laughs) We need someone who just kind of sees things differently than anybody else. Yeah. Because there's not really anybody else out there producing movies like Tim Burton. That's true. There's, there's, everything's very cookie cutter right now, even though they're all great. I'm not saying any of them are bad. I'm just saying that they kind of have a same feel. I was watching a video about how characters are shaped to portray a specific feeling about them. You know, the big, broad-shouldered kind of people are the strong guys, the lovable guys. You know, you've got the angular characters who are usually the bad guys. And I think movies are kind of taking that same train. Like, they have found the perfect algorithm, if you will, (laughs) to making a movie and making it successful. So they're sticking with it. They're running with it. And it's working, and it's great, and they're coming out with a lot of good movies. But then you've got Tim Burton who's like, that's cool. I produced this, though. Yeah. And then here's this, you know, kid at the science fair with this really weird project with this erupting volcano of like, I don't know, cereal. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, why is it erupting cereal and not lava? You're like, eh, it's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He definitely has a different take on the world mm-hmm. or a, a different, I guess he sees it through a different style of glasses. <laughs> Probably. That would make sense. Where everything has... A little bit less color, except for the things that have color, are very colorful. I feel like if he was a photographer, he would be one of those people that do all of his pictures in black and white, and then makes one color stick out the most. Like, remember when that was really popular in the 90s? 90s, 2000s? It was like, here's a black and white photo, but red was their accent color for their wedding, so all of the roses are red, and his bow tie is red, and her lips are red, and you're just like... Okay, (laughs) you know, it's not really a great picture, but uh, all right. (laughs) I don't really know how else to describe it other than Tim Burton-esque. Yeah. (laughs) Just just because there's no real other style that matches his. Mm -mm. Because others do the thing where they take all the color out. That, That would be more like a Zack Snyder sort of thing. Oh, all the color in? No, 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 oh. all the color out. Like, man, <laughs> oh, gotcha, like gotcha. When, when he did uh, Man of Steel a while back, mm-hmm. and everyone was just like, well, where's the blue suit? Where's the red cape? Oh, and, yeah. And, like, yeah. all the color was very muted, and that one guy actually went back and retouched uh, the Zack Snyder Man of Steel movie 
to put more color in. Mm, okay. So it looked a lot more like an older Superman movie with uh, Christopher Reeve and, you know, like it was a blue suit, red cape. Right. Instead of like a dark, dark navy almost. Yeah, and like a deep reddish brown. Yeah. Kind of. I was thinking the uh, the movie, was it Bruce Willis? It was like black and white. Oh yeah, um, uh, Sin City. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We're yeah. Really uh, <laughs> Robert Rodriguez. Okay. He he does that a lot. Um, his, his movies are a lot, they're very stylized as well. Right. But he does the Desperado series with El Mariachi, Antonio Banderas. That's another auteur. But he's in a very different like over-the-top action Right. Way. Tim Burton is dark fantasy, dark whimsy. You right. Know. I would say there's a lot of, I think, directors that are, like you said, Tim Burton-esque. They're eccentric. I mean, my first thought is like Tarantino. You know a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Except for that one movie we watched. I'm like, is this Tarantino? And you're like, no. I'm like, really? <laughs> this is not, t- what was it? The the hotel and... Oh, um, Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes. So that one felt very Tarantino, but it was not. But you know, you're like, that's a Tarantino movie. That's a Tim Burton movie. You just, they have those very specific things about them that you're like, yep, that's them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this week has turned into a a, a study in auteurs. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of have to, though. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's different. Again, because movies are so mainstream and cookie cutter it's like the movies that are coming out are like a neighborhood's coming in and all the houses are of the same four models yeah yeah and we're looking at the older houses we're like wow every single one is different that's a duplex that's a two that's a ranch wow uh, you know (laughs) all all these houses are split levels and right the one victorian (laughs) place with the turrets that would be tim burton (laughs) yeah yeah the one where you're like does a witch live there? Right. Or like our neighbor who literally has the castle. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. You're special. Got yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> the one place that really sticks out that you know as that house, mm-hmm. that is Tim Burton's house. I would agree. It would be a black Victorian era style house, almost kind of like grew in his neighborhood. Yeah. That's what I feel like Tim Burton's house would look like. Yeah. Just a little bit creepier and not so <laughs> many like gadgets. Right. You would just have like ghosts and goblins and like things that are half dead half alive Mm -hmm. so yeah that would be a tim burton house (laughs) that's kind of what our house looks like on halloween sometimes (laughs) like a tim burton house (laughs) yeah i think his style was inspired in some ways by others Mm -hmm. like uh the adams family i could see that yeah they predate his work Mm mm-hmm like the older, older ones. Too, yeah, the yeah. older. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, the the monsters. I more... imagine he was probably into like the Universal monsters. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like Frankenstein mm-hmm. and Dracula, Frankenstein, and... Wolfman. Yeah, I feel like that's mummy. his. I feel like that's his uh, shtick. I think that's why he did Ed Wood just to pay his respects to an era that I'm sure he really admired, mm-hmm. and that a guy made all these movies about things that just like him aren't really mainstream aren't all that popular Mm -hmm. so what would you say is your favorite tim burton movie that is a tough one so let me go back here so i have to like look at them all because i feel like if i don't take a look at everything he's done i'm gonna miss one so 
that's such a tough one. Cause I'm like, there's Beetlejuice, there's Batman. I mean, I I know the original Batmans were incredibly corny, but I still love them because Penguin was amazing. He didn't do the third one, which had Riddler in it, did he? Well, he he produced it. Okay. So I really like them because I really felt that Jim Carrey was the perfect Riddler. The only other one I still want to see is... Um, Neil Patrick Harris? Yes, Neil Patrick Harris. He'd be the only other Riddler and nobody else. <laughs> but a lot of these I haven't seen, too. So like a lot, like Frankenweenie and, and Corpse Bride, I have not seen. I would probably still have to say uh, Beetlejuice, though. That's one I could just literally watch <laughs> over and over. And I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. Like, it doesn't bore me. Yeah, that is a really good movie that I think checks all the boxes. Like, mm-hmm. you care enough about all the characters you like them in some way. You hate them in some way, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it's got the humor. It's got heart. It scares you a little bit. There are some creepy parts. But I think for me, is there's enough quotable lines that you just wait for. Yeah. You know? If you don't let me gut out this house <laughs> and make it my own. <laughs> I'll go outside and I will take you. <laughs> so, like, those kind of things, like, I love those moments in movies i'm like this is the part this is the part <laughs> you know and and uh you know the fact that you can do the beetlejuice voice now oh ha, yeah I'm putting you on the spot oh, <laughs> i continually will rehearse his credentials oh yeah speech <laughs> well i, I attended juilliard i i lived through the black plague and i had a pretty good time during that i've seen the exorcist about 167 times and it keeps getting funnier Every single time I see it, not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? <laughs> you think I'm qualified? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that's the stuff that I live for. Like, <laughs> I love those moments. I think that's why Shrek is one of my favorites, because I can quote that entire movie. Yeah. But who doesn't know the gingerbread scene? Right. Gingerbread man scene, you know, yeah. like... Yeah, everyone knows that scene. <laughs> but you just, you love those parts because then you can actually feel a part of the movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Now, I do love Nightmare Before Christmas, but I feel like there are only certain parts. To me, Nightmare Before Christmas is very, I'm probably going to get hate for this, but it feels very Rocky Horror Picture Show to me. There are certain parts that you love to watch and the rest is cringy. And you're yeah. like, I don't really want to watch the rest of it. I'm just here for like four or five parts couple of songs and then i'm out (laughs) you know like i don't really want to say for the whole thing (laughs) yeah when jack is really just on a manic obsessive quest i want to fast forward through all that Mm -hmm. stuff when sally is just so enamored by him well well, no she's trying so hard to get him to stop yeah that he won't do it and he's just like oh everything's gonna be fine and you're just kind of like uh you're like no this is not fine the, and all of you Halloween Town people suck right. at Christmas, and <laughs> You're you need all to terrible. stop. You need to stop. <laughs> I will say the mayor is my favorite, though. If I had to pick a character, the mayor <laughs> is my favorite because I love those manic moments of everything's great. No, no, everything's wrong. Yeah, and I love and that. You find yourself out. more rooting for Lock, Shock, and Barrel and <laughs> Oogie Boogie than for Jack. Yeah, um, it's it's very uh, it's a good movie i do like nightmare before christmas it is a favorite to watch at halloween time but if i had to take my pick it would be beetlejuice above yeah what about you what's your favorite of all tim burton movies that probably would be it too the same yeah yeah 
I don't know, take a, take a look at the list, because there is quite a <laughs> list of movies that you just kind of go, oh, yeah, and that one, oh, and that one was good, too, and oh. Right. I'm waiting for that moment of, oh, but that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I would, I don't think I'd change it. I know I like a lot of his movies. Mm-hmm. A Close Contender, too, was Edward Scissorhands. That was actually a pretty good one. I honestly don't really care for that one all really? that much. Yeah, like, I know it's, like, the biggest of his movies that he had the most hand in. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, he directed it, he produced it, he wrote the story for it. Right. So it has the most the Tim most, Burton yeah. feel to it. I guess I just enjoy Beetlejuice the most. Yeah, I think Beetlejuice has a lot more, I want to say maybe cynical humor, whereas Edward Scissorhands is, is a more innocent. Because I think when he explained Edward Scissorhands, he's like, he's he's a child. Right. He's, he's seeing it from a child's or Maybe that was how Johnny Depp explained it, is that Edward Scissorhand was seeing everything from a child's perspective, mm-hmm. but just in an adult body, right. you know? So, and I think that's really, really sweet, but it gives it more of that innocent humor, which can kind of get old after you've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. Whereas Beetlejuice being the cynical, like, huh, I'm an adult, I'm being a little, like, not so great. <laughs> that's still going to always be funny. It's like fart jokes. Fart jokes are always funny. <laughs> it's just it's just how it is <laughs> yeah i think beetlejuice probably ran the the spectrum of humor the best mm-hmm. just the ones that are the real childish stuff i mean it, it got to be a, a cartoon yeah i was gonna afterward. say i forget that we grew up with a cartoon, cartoon. Mm-hmm. uh it's been a musical now which we need to see by the way <laughs> i heard i have heard firsthand that it is amazing okay. like with a capital oh, amazing <laughs> i don't know um, what letter that was a that's the one <laughs> there, there, there's still rumors about there being a sequel at mm-hmm. some point i don't think that'd really be a good idea personally yeah i again it would it would feel very much like hocus pocus 2 did at first it's just kind of a a cash grab to bring back the nostalgia to kind right. of tie in those millennials like Remember your childhood when you shouldn't have been watching that movie, but you watched it anyway, and right. now you're obsessed with it? We're bringing it back. Yeah. Nah, I, we're good. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I saw the unedited version of Beetlejuice until my adult years. Just because he does get to drop an F-bomb in the movie. <laughs> I might have seen it sooner, but my dad really liked it. Because I remember when he went into the strip club. Oh, I remember yeah. that, like fully yeah so when i saw the edited i was like i'm sorry but wait that's not what he says i i think when i first saw that scene and i was a kid when i saw that i didn't really understand what it was no i don't think i understood either but when i was slightly older and saw the edited for tv version i was like haha they're changing words and then that scene happened and they kind of like clipped around it as best they could i was like what what that's a strip club (laughs) hold on there was more to this before yeah, you could definitely see that he was able to give a bit of his mm-hmm. style to it, but not all of it was his. Right. I think he was able to put like a dark humor to it and an adult dark humor to it, which now being an adult is even funnier than it was before. And I think that's why it's like every time you see it, you're just like, that's right, that, that's kind of funny. I can't believe <laughs> they put that in a movie, but just always, it always makes me laugh and I'm always like ready I almost kind of get bored in the beginning. I'm like, oh, okay, they're alive, they're alive, whatever. Just just die so we can get to Beetlejuice, okay? Like, 
jump over the bridge let's go <laughs> come on dog right let's let's have that old lassie scene and just you know let's let's get to the point where they're moving in and destroying the house <laughs> <laughs> i guess i i it took me forever to believe that they could have died that easily i think i thought that too like they what <laughs> they, they just like they, they weren't far out, off the water <laughs> like it wasn't like they were gonna get crushed as they hit the water no this was they drowned yeah i think it took me a while to realize that that was how they died because I, I think i thought the same thing too i'm like it's not a, a big river it's more of a creek yeah and, and I was like, okay. And they don't really lean into that all that much. Plus, right. drowned people don't look all that different from alive people. Right. They were just wet when they walked in, so that makes sense. And the only time they really say exactly what happened was the little girl of the realtor lady that was all... Oh, trying to sell their house. house. Yeah. yeah. She, they they drowned. And that's it. That That's the only time you really get to hear exactly what happened. And I think for the longest time, my thought was, how? It was a creek. Mm-hmm. I could see the bottom. Yeah. Like, but they, they fell in top first and their heads were underwater. So. I mean, it doesn't take much just not being able to breathe for a certain amount of time. But yeah. I, I think I think if the river had been just slightly fuller, I might have believed it more wholeheartedly. <laughs> but, you know, growing up around creeks and, and little riverbeds like that, I'm like, okay, so what? That comes up to your ankle? Like, yeah. and? <laughs> yeah, it's just real bad luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of more what he was getting to. Like, yeah, the dog was there. They swerved. They were on a one-lane bridge, and the dog moved, and the car fell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy the bureaucracy of death. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, it, it's a series of offices. You have to wait in the room to get any sort of service Mm. it's it's not exactly hell but it's more of a purgatory sort of thing makes sense why it takes a lot yeah and that's why they're haunting because they have to live out their years in the house before they're able to move on right (laughs) that makes sense and and i feel it's like the dmv or at least how you know the secretary of state was of michigan and you just sit for hours there was no just hey let me just go get my tags it was well i'm gonna need the rest of the day because this gonna take me at least three hours or more i think one of the most random things in it though was that when they step off of their property they get transported to saturn yeah that was weird <laughs> and then that's when they had the sandworms and everything yeah. like they couldn't leave that specific area yeah maybe it's because they were tied to an object and that, because, you know, when they did the seance and brought them back with their wedding outfits. Oh, yeah. They were tied to those outfits. And if those moved, like, say they got packed up and moved to a storage unit, they'd be haunting a storage <laughs> unit. You know what I mean? I, like, I think Juno, their caseworker, actually mm-hmm. goes over some of the specifics. But you have to be paying real close attention to whatever she's saying. Because she says it so fast that it's just like a bureaucrat talking about yeah, the, fine the fine print. print. <laughs> yeah, that they know by heart. But anyone else is just like, whoosh, right over the head. Look, I'm so busy focusing on the smoke that's coming out of her neck, trying to figure (laughs) out how they did that. I don't hear anything she says. (laughs) Because I'm like, that's an amazing effect. How did they do that? There's like a bladder and like the smoke comes out and like, how does it? Yeah, it's a fake chest piece Mm -hmm. and it just eeks out the top. 
I I think that's the other thing I love so much about Beetlejuice is that it is a live action movie and almost almost everything is a practical effect. Yeah. Michael Keaton actually wore like the bald cap and he spent hours in makeup to look like Beetlejuice. Yeah. I still can't see him. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think it took me a while before I could, like, you have to really look, like, from the eyebrows down and just, like, pretend his hair's not there. And you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> the, the, only, the first time I put it together was I was watching Batman. And there's a scene where Bruce is at Vicki Vale's apartment. Mm-hmm. And Joker shows up. And Joker's, of course, enamored with Vicki Vale, wants to take her, sees Bruce there. And Bruce decides to be a bit more aggressive than mm-hmm. someone with more information would have been, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but he, for a second, drops into the Beetlejuice voice. Oh, gotcha. So he says, come on, let's get nuts. And it sounds just like Beetlejuice, so I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> so I, I had to like look it up, and I was... Wow. Like I I didn't I hadn't paid attention during the whole opening credits of Beetlejuice to see that Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton was Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh that's always a fun one cuz I sometimes forget that Michael Keaton was Batman. Not that he wasn't a good he was a good Batman, but like cuz that was so long ago and there's Michael Keaton, there's George Clooney, there's uh Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer there's Christian Bale. Christian Bale, Ben <laughs> Affleck, and now Robert Pattinson. There's been so many Batmans. I forget that Michael Keaton was yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty much just the second one because there's Adam West who always has that he's, special... He's the Kirk of the Batmans. The, the special status, even though his stuff was very much the camp. <laughs> the camp of campy. <laughs> yeah, and it fit for the time because that was... The 60s. Yeah. Well, and he was a real-life comic. That's why they had the pals and the yeah. band. It was a, literally a comic book character coming to life. Right. So that made and sense. I feel like that's what they were trying to do with the Tim Burton Batman, mm-hmm. was be more like... I know it, it predates the the animated series a bit, but I feel like that's what the animated series mostly drew off of, mm. was this um, Dark Shadows brooding sort of batman but when he's bruce wayne he's very charismatic yeah i mean that to me always makes sense like the new one i'm like i don't think that bruce wayne would be elusive i think he'd want to keep up appearances he'd want to have people know he's bruce wayne so they forget that he's you know they don't even tie him together with batman right and to be elusive never be seen and then all of a sudden batman comes around and we never see bruce wayne but we always see batman huh yeah weird like that just doesn't fit to me so i like how they did that he was very charismatic people were rooting for bruce wayne even if they didn't like him they're like well that's better than nobody you know yeah in the earlier days of batman he was someone that everyone wanted to be around. He had his parties. The press were always interviewing Mm -hmm. him about stuff. It definitely got more over the top in the Joel Schumacher ones. But once it hit the Christian Bale ones, like the first movie, he was still doing the Bruce Wayne playboy thing. Mm -hmm. But then in the later ones, he started just... Hold up in a wall and... Yeah, especially in the third one, where it had been like 10 years since he had been seen and stuff like that. I feel like... 
the Tim Burton Batman got the balance down right. I think so, and I think that is something that I wish they could incorporate back because it he did get that, you know, for a while you knew Bruce Wayne and for a while you knew Batman, and even though it was campy, you still were entertained through the whole thing. Not one side of him was boring. Yeah, you know? it, it didn't feel... I know campy is a good descriptor for that style, mm-hmm. but it also fit the overall story. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was, it was campy for the '90s, but it wasn't so over the top. I'd say that you'd be like hard pressed to see it in real life. That's true. I mean, I can't say too much about it because when I watched the third one, I was a huge Chris O'Donnell fan for a really long time because of that movie. So <laughs> I can't say they're bad. I watched them as a young, impressionable little girl. Comic book movies really weren't doing exceptionally well like they're doing now they were struggling to kind of catch ground and the fact that he had a trilogy with those means he did something right then well he he didn't really get to do much with the third one no but i mean the fact that that batman had a trilogy meant it was good well, he enough had four four oh are you talking about christian bale no, 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 no. I'm talking about the tim burton batman there were three of those there was batman batman returns batman forever right batman forever even though he produced it, it didn't really... Well, Michael Keaton wasn't Batman anymore. No, no, no. I'm just saying so. that Batman series. Even though they were different Batmans, they still had three movies that were technically the same. They, they didn't really reference each other. Well, that was before movies did that. I know. But the, the only common thread between the first four, I think, was Alfred. And maybe Jim Gordon. But Michael Keaton was only Batman for the first two. Val Kilmer did the third one, and George Clooney did the fourth. Yeah, Alfred was played by the same guy, I think, all four times. And I think Jim Gordon was played by the same actor all four times. But it wasn't considered the same Batman, just recast with different actors? It didn't really, like, reference the other stories or anything. Oh, I thought, I always see them as, like, you know, they get sold in that pack together, where it's like all these Batman. So I assumed... This was the first one, the second one, and then Batman got recast, and it's still continuing the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it's the most loosely tied together. Yeah. I think Wayne Manor was probably the same most of the time, but they always had such big stylistic changes, mm. especially between the Tim Burton ones and the Joel Schumacher ones, that they felt like, okay, they went, they came out at the same sort of time period but they didn't really feel like they were all that much connected like uh chris o'donnell was in batman forever and batman and robin he didn't even work with the same batman twice i mean true i guess i just see it as those were the batmans of the 90s and even though it wasn't the same actor it just kind of felt like it was kind of sequentially the same story because the suits were very similar there were some stylistic changes some good some bad (laughs) we won't go into that but i thought they all went together but maybe not it is kind of the muddiest timeline wise Mm -hmm. as far as like are these just episodic and they don't really relate to each other but they have common actors or characters because they didn't really reference the villains that mm. would live through to the next one. True. Maybe they were more episodic and just kind of telling a specific story yeah. as a Batman. But I mean, 
I think people saw them as a grouping, at least, even mm-hmm. if they weren't like maybe it was like different comic book Batmans. Like they're all Batman comic books, but like this is Batman Forever, and this is Batman Beyond style, and this is you know what I mean. Like there's different different Batmans, but yeah. all still a comic book Batman. So they lumped them together. I don't know. I think back then they didn't put movies together the way they're doing it now. Like there wasn't a universe. It was just this is Batman. And it's a Batman movie. What do you want? Like, <laughs> what do you want from me? It's a Batman movie. I liked those. And I don't know. They were they were definitely, I think, ahead of their time. Again, because comic book movies really weren't successful back then. Yeah, it was still, I think, cutting edge mm-hmm. as far as where movie studios thought they could pull uh, stories from. Most of the time it was based on a book or based on a play, or something else. Um, Right. Comic books were seen as for kids. That if you were going to make a comic book movie, you had to make it for the kids. Right. It wasn't going to appeal to a larger audience. And I feel like Tim Burton did a good job by making his Batman movies more relevant to adults. I think so. And I, and again, I think back in the 90s, I remember in school, they're like, no, don't be nice to nerds and geeks because one day they're going to be your bosses. Mm. Um, you know, that was kind of the mentality of anybody who read comic books was like, oh, you're a nerd or you're a geek. But now that we're all grown up, we're like, some of these hit some pretty hard topics that even books don't discuss. TV shows don't discuss. And these comic books hit hard and people relate to them. And I think that's why we're seeing an increase. And to think that Tim Burton was on that cutting edge of bringing that to life, maybe even making it a possibility for what we have now is kind of a cool thought. Yeah, I think he kind of started it off for what was accepting Mm -hmm. to society in a larger sense that comic books weren't just for the geeks and the freaks and the nerds and all the introverts that would never get invited to the parties and never, never get the girl or that he made it seem like anyone could be successful. Mm-hmm. That even the weird kid in the back that always drew the weird little characters, he's making... He is that guy. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's that guy that's making tons of movies and being very successful. Of course, he, he's not the most easy person to work with, but most eccentric people are like that. I would say they usually have a way about them, and that's kind of what's sad about what I just found out earlier today was that he just recently did the movie Dumbo and he felt like the remake of Dumbo was kind of his swan song to Disney. Like he's not going to work with Disney anymore. Oh yeah. So yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are upset with Disney now because they're going the route of remaking their old cartoon movies as live action ones, but not putting a lot of faith in them. Yeah. And I mean, and Disney's playing it safe. They're playing on their strengths, which smart business move. But for people like Tim Burton, if you see those things and you're like, man, they're playing the cookie cutter game. I am the oddly shaped. I'm the guy that's making cookies with a pizza cutter. Or I'm a bunt cake. Like, <laughs> there's only so much you can do. And there's a hole in the middle. Yeah. Like there's, you know, you make what? Pineapple upside down cake? Like <laughs> cool, but... Yeah, I think for him, I hate to see that that relationship is ending, but it has ended before and it's come back. 
So it's not, I don't think it's the end for Tim Burton because I think he's got such a brilliant mind. He's going to come up with something and go, man, I need a studio to produce this with me. For him to just be like, nope, that's it. I'm done. Wiping his hands clean and just being like, we're good. I don't think he'll do that. I don't think he can do that. I feel like he's been successful enough in his career that if he decided to, I mean, he's in his 60s now. If, and we're seeing a lot more actors and directors and people in the film industry retiring instead of acting into their 80s right. and working into their 80s because I believe the industry is changing a lot now that not as many people are enjoying the work like they used to. Right, that's true. There are some things that Tim Burton has said himself that are pretty controversial and not okay in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, little... they weren't ever really okay, but they've become less okay. Well, people are being more outspoken about it than just going, oh, that's just Tim Burton. They're like, right. uh, no. Yeah, there's some, some not-so-great things that have been said about him. I mean... I'm not brushing it off, but I'm just saying, is anybody really surprised? He kind of made it obvious. It's sad that people that grew up in that time and who are that age now, they all have a very, well, not all of them. I don't want to make those rash generalizations, (laughs) but the vast majority seem to have the mindset of those stereotypes from back in the day that have still held strong. And it isn't that they think anything's wrong with it. That's just how they've thought their whole lives. Yeah, when when you think about people in their 60s now, so often when a scandal arises about some of their more personal opinions, that they all seem to be along the same lines of, oh, well, that's just how we thought back when I was your age or whatever yeah and it's it's hard to break habits of things that you were grown up with it's not impossible and people should still be willing to change but until they know it's a problem yeah you're not gonna change You're, you're just not going to until someone addresses it and says hey that's not cool and you're like really yeah and and but you have to do it in such a way that you don't immediately just alienate them. right you have to be like hey we understand, mm-hmm. like you have to come from a place of understanding that this is how they used to think and they were never told that that is not okay. Right. And to us, of course, it's very obvious that it's not okay because we've gone through that. Yeah, we're like, uh, no. And I do think too that like when certain things come out, especially in this older uh, generation of actors, producers, and famous individuals, when something unfavorable comes out about them, I feel like nine times out of ten, you're like, yeah, that checks out. (laughs) Like, you already knew. Like, no one's really surprised. You're like, dang, it is true. That sucks. Like, you had this, like, just this little thought that you're like, you know, some of the things they've done doesn't exactly feel very inclusive of either a particular group or anybody. You know, you just kind of feel something's off. They're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so did this. You're like, I knew it. Yeah. I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, you, you weren't sure that it was deliberate, but now you know. <laughs> yeah, and you're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. And and again, Tim Burton is one of those individuals. When stuff came out about him, it was just like, yeah, I, 
Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, or, I hate that, but I can see it. Yeah, you're not really surprised that he holds some now controversial... Right. Values. Yeah, viewpoints. Yeah, I, yeah, I would, yeah viewpoints, because it's definitely his view. But does that make him a horrible person? No? I Question think, mark? Like... Well, I think it makes him an older person. And that, of course, sounds very ageist, but you have to take that with when they were raised right a person in their 60s is going to think a different way from a person in their 30s a person in their 20s so on and so forth i would agree with that he's of a different mentality of a different time when he grew up and honestly being that he's the individual that he is he sees things differently Mm -hmm. and he has a way he likes it i feel like he might, and this is a generalization, there is, I don't know if there's any proof on this, but I feel like if you were to put him in a group, he might be someone on the spectrum because he sees things so differently. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I just think that he's eccentric in that way that his viewpoints are going to be different, whether he wants them to be or not, because of how he produces things, makes things. I mean, when you walk into Disney, who's this bubbly Mickey Mouse character, and you were like, here, look at Corpse Bride. That's like walking into Abercrombie wearing old 90s Hot Topic. Yeah. And just being like, this style's cool. You should check it out. What? <laughs> like, you just don't do that. But I feel that's like, that's what he did. Like, he took almost a dark goth culture and brought it to this mainstream, family-friendly arena and was like, I can make this work for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for anyone that wants to see a pretty decent episode about Tim Burton from, I used to talk about this series a bit more often, but the movies that made us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. They have an episode about Nightmare Before Christmas that ends up being more about Tim Burton's history than Mm -hmm. anything else, so... Kind of like what we've done. Yeah, yeah, but... (laughs) In a more cohesive way, I feel Right, like. probably. <laughs> Less rambling, more like, oh, they, they actually have They did points. their homework. Yeah, Got they, it. <laughs> they, they scripted it out before they hit record. <laughs> no scripts. <laughs> <laughs> That's our style. No, right. <laughs> Fly by the seat of our pits. <laughs> I really do like that. I, we actually probably need to watch more of the movies that made us. Because I, I enjoy that kind of stuff, that like history lesson about the movies themselves obviously i've seen a ton of behind the scenes stuff about jurassic park so i should probably open up my genres a little bit more (laughs) it's not the only movie out there but it is the best (laughs) oh did you just eh? it's your it's your best wow i mean it's your favorite no i know you're right (laughs) like that that is a subjective opinion truth which is redundant is it well a subjective opinion Oh. That's redundant. Yeah, I feel like Tim Burton is just one of those otherworldly individuals that you have to really, really study to understand. Yeah, I I think there's a, a point of view he has that brings out things that people don't think of. And for better or for worse, it at least gets people thinking. That's true. Yeah, his um his style in films... Reminds me of someone else who has a very different perspective on the world. Some would call him weird. Oh. Because 
Next week, we're doing a podcast about Weird Al. I'm actually really excited for this. It's <laughs> it's one of the first times we've talked about a music genre. That's true. But mostly because the movie is coming out with yeah. Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al. Yeah, I'm feeling like this isn't going to be an accurate biopic by any stretch of the imagination. No, I, I highly believe this is Weird Al's interpretation of what his life was. Yeah, or or just like a, a take on it where this Weird Al that Daniel Radcliffe is portraying is nothing like the Weird Al in, in real life. Yeah, like it's it's gonna be more like a, a rock star rise to fame and glory story. <laughs> right. Well, and that's what I think is I feel like this is how I see. You're gonna see Weird Al. They're gonna ask him like, hey, how was it getting started? And so he's gonna start telling this story. And then in his Weird Al fashion, it's gonna get more exaggerated and more and more and more until there's drug, sex, and rock and roll, which we know he really, I don't, I don't no, no, think he, he did. He, he, doesn't, he was pretty clean. No, no, he, yeah, he, he doesn't drink. He's very... He's very much into healthy living. He's one of the least controversial individuals. Yeah. Of, and I think he was really upset. I think I remember he had asked if he could parody a song. Yeah. He was given permission by his producer or somebody, but never got permission from the artist. Yeah. And he was livid. Yeah. He was so mad. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that on next week's episode. Mm-hmm. He's got so much history to him. And it's all so well documented that we will have no problem giving you a nice, full, orderly... No, not orderly. Now like orderly. <laughs> a, a nice, Who are you talking about? <laughs> a nice, full podcast all about Weird Al Yankovic. Look, I think I have all of his CDs from literally his first up until Bad Hair Day. My very first CD was the Food Album. Same. <laughs> and then I think the second was the uh, Jurassic Park, the, the uh, Alapalooza. Alapalooza yeah. was yep. my second one. Yep. <laughs> well, of, of his at least. I had some other music before that, but... Did you ever own UHF? No. I think we did. I think. I'll have to ask, and I'll know for sure next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Find out next week. We are... Geeky, Geeky Dinks. Dinks.